0: Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers Podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. starting time. I'd venture to say that this is what we growers live for. Watching seedlings grow in the depth of winter is the best mood lifter, am I right? It definitely is for me. Those of you in the southern hemisphere are likely gearing up for your late summer sowings as well right now of those cool annuals, so it seemed like such a great time to take a deeper dive into seed sowing with my old friend and seed starting pro, Lisa Ziegler. Lisa literally quite literally, wrote the book called Cool Flowers on starting seeds for early spring crops. If you don't have that book already, you should definitely try to get your hands on it, though it's generally been sold out lately, so hopefully you can find it somewhere on the internet. Um, Lisa has been flower farming for 25 years and runs a seed supply house through her business, The Gardener's Workshop. She's also the host of the Field and Garden podcast, which you should definitely check out if you haven't already. She is a wealth of knowledge on myriad topics, so you can always get a lot of good information out of Lisa. Several years back, when Lisa and I were both on the conference circuit as speakers, we did a talk together for the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers on seed starting. It was a fun talk because we compared notes about what made for successful seed sowing um, in each of our own contexts. So each of our farms is unique and how we start seeds is different. And it was cool to compare notes on our context. I wanted to revisit that conversation today here on the podcast and add more to it with a dive into some of the natural inputs that can help improve germination and seedling vigor, a la Korean natural farming and Jadam, and just some of the other things that we talk about here on this podcast so much, and I know you nerdy types out there will be eager to hear. We talked about so many important things in this show. Seed storage tips, having a living soil as the foundation for seed sowing, growing on temperatures, moisture levels, proper timing, how to add biology to your starting mix, how to add critical nutrients and plant hormones naturally, and even a little bit about sowing by the biodynamic calendar. Before we get into that lively conversation though, I wanted to put my quote unquote recipe for my seed sowing into a really easy to access spot here in the intro, in case you wanna refer back to it later without having to hunt through the entire show for it. I talked to Lisa about why I add these things, so stay tuned for that. I just wanna give you the really quick down and dirty recipe at the moment. So at my farm, we use organic ProMix as the base material for seed starting. And to dry ProMix, we add bagged worm castings, a pint or two of that, depending on how much ProMix we're using, and a very fine biochar. The product name for that is Rich Mix Humates, but really just any sort of fine bio- biochar product would work. Both of those are meant to help with keeping moisture evenly available as the seedlings grow in the trays or the soil blocks. When I have good quality, well-aged compost on hand, I also add compost to this mix. But sometimes I don't have good compost on hand, so then I don't use that. So that's optional, but definitely if you have some good, well-aged, high-quality compost that you know does not have any, any herbicide residues, then you could also add that. All right, so all of those dry ingredients get mixed together um, prior to adding any sort of liquid. And you wanna mix them dry so that they get evenly distributed. Once you add water, everything gets gunked up. So mix all of that dry. Then separately in a big jar or in a bucket, depending on how big of a of a scale you're working on here, um, I mix together the liquid ingredients, kind of like making a cake. You know, you, you mix all the dry ingredients and then you mix all the wet ingredients and then you put it all together at the end. So the liquid ingredients for this recipe include, um fresh worm castings which are going to get added to water so i take about a golf ball size of fresh worm castings from my own worm bin so these are not the bagged ones these are fresh worm castings and i dissolve that in about a gallon of water so one golf ball size of worm castings to one gallon of water then i also add to that same mix right with the same water that i used for the worm castings I do one teaspoon of WCA, water-soluble calcium, per gallon of water, one teaspoon of Maxi Crop that's a kelp product, to the gallon of water, one tablespoon of JLF, or Jadom liquid fertilizer, per gallon of water. And I usually use a nettle JLF for seed starting, but you can really use any JLF you might have on hand, or just skip the JLF if you don't have that on hand. Um, And then I also add One teaspoon of LAB, that's a homemade culture of good bacteria um, from taken from the book of uh, Korean natural farming. These liquid ingredients are all mixed together in the jar or the bucket and then added to the dry ingredients and it all gets stirred together until the moisture level is pretty even throughout. Now you have a seed starting mix that is teeming with diverse life and heaps of soluble nutrients that those little seedlings can soak right up to grow big and strong. Uh, By the way, I have used this formula in both plastic cell trays and in soil blocks, so you can use it for either of those if you want to. If you'd like to have that recipe written out, so you're someone like me who enjoys the written word over the spoken word, and you can understand it better. um, If you want that recipe written out with more detailed instructions and explanations for the ratios and what exactly each of those ingredients is, join the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network, where I've posted an article all about seed sowing regenerative farmer style. Membership in the network also goes towards supporting the making of more podcast episodes here on No-Till Flowers. So win-win all around. You get a great article. I get a little extra support for the podcast. Um, And like I said, we're going to talk about all those topics as we dive into this conversation with today's guest, Lisa Ziegler from the Gardeners Workshop. (laughs) Okay, I've got my dear friend, Lisa, with me today. We go way, 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 way way back, way back. I don't even know how many years now, but Lisa Ziegler of the Gardener's Workshop has um, been in my in my hemisphere for a long time, so to speak, of people that I know and trust and consider a friend, and she's also a seed-starting guru, so I thought, who better to have this conversation today with than Lisa, who knows heaps and heaps about seed-starting and sells lots of seeds. So welcome, Lisa. I'm excited to chat with you. Hey,
1: Jenny, my pleasure to be here and just love to be in your presence again. It's been a while for <laughs> it us. It
0: has. We used to see each other all the time at ASCFG events um, as a board member and, and going to the events. Yeah. And then and then COVID happened and we're both not on the ASCFG board anymore. And now we, we don't see each other much. So it's always a
1: delight. Yes, it is. um just great to have a one-on-one conversation again. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So I wanted to pick your brain
0: about seed starting and then to have sort of this like, you know, volley back and forth about ideas about how to enhance um, germination and seedling health because here we are sitting on the on the edge of seed starting season (laughs) for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, but even people in the Southern Hemisphere, they're, they're probably going into their um, late summer sowings for their cool annuals and everything that are coming up in the fall. So it's, it's, it's prime seed starting time. And, I want to do two things. I want to talk about just sort of the basics, the nuts and bolts of seed starting for people who are relatively new to it and could use some pointers. And then I also want to talk about regenerative farming practices, regenerative growing practices for seed starting, which usually involves a lot of natural inputs and and working with microbes and everything like that. So we're going to start with the basics first so that we don't overwhelm anybody because I'm afraid if I go into all my like woo-woo things, people are going to be like, whoa, Jenny, don't know what you're talking about. A little scary backing up here. So let's start with basics, Lisa, which I think you can really help me um, tease that out for everybody. So Let's start with everybody just got some massive seed order from, say, the Gardener's Workshop or Geo Seeds or Johnny's. How should they store those seeds? In your experience, what's the best way to store them so you can keep them fresh and germinating really well?
1: Sure. And so I think you have to really step back and say, how long am I going to store these? Am mm-hmm. I going to be starting them in two or three weeks? Or am I going to be sitting on them for a longer period of time? Right. And um, the cue is to keep them cool and dry. And I think that's something that I didn't really have a grasp on is like how much humidity is present in your house or um, that type of environment. Because I always thought, well, I'll just, you know, leave him in my kitchen cabinet. Right. <laughs> and that's probably OK for short term storage. But. Um, if you, like so many people, are buying more seed than you actually are going to sow at one time, particularly if you're succession sowing, right, um, then you want to just think how to keep them dry and cool. And um, we really kind of focus on that as seed sellers. You know, we're always trying to um, ensure that all of those practices are in place. Nice.
0: Yeah. Here for me, that involves, I get, cause you've got like massive warehouse full of seeds. I I have a nice little box of seeds. And for me, I store them in my cooler. Um, so they stay nice and cool and they stay dark. And so they're not exposed to daylight. And then, um, the other thing I do is, you know, when you buy a pair of shoes and there's that little, um, desiccant packet in the bottom of that, or you could buy like, kelp to eat and stuff that also there's a lot of products that have those little packets so I just save all of those (laughs) and there's like 25 of those packets in my seed box but it it really helps with retaining or um not retaining but uh soaking up moisture so the seeds don't get it
1: yeah we actually sell those desiccant packets oh you do yeah the bigger ones okay We actually sell the same ones that we use and um, because that really that was like the start of my learning how to store seeds it's like wow you know maybe we need to be concerned about moisture this was way back when and that was the recommendation to us um, was to use those desiccant packs so yeah yeah, for sure and that is i mean it's pretty interesting sometimes how those packets get full feeling they get tight Mm -hmm. well that's moisture so yeah yeah desiccants definitely recommended
0: yeah, that's why, especially if you're, if you are storing your seeds in like a cooler or a refrigerator, use, there's usually a fair amount of moisture in a cooler or refrigerator. So you don't want to just like put your seeds in there and be like, oh, they're fine because they're cool. No, you also right. have that second part. You need to keep them dry. Yes. And that's what the desiccant yep. is. Yeah. Okay. For good, sure. Good to know you sold those. I didn't even know that. So, um, I mean, yeah. it's one of those inexpensive
1: little things yeah. that you ought to have them, you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, that's just one of those things you'll use it if you have it. So, yeah. yeah.
0: If you don't, for those listening, if you don't um, have the desiccant packet and you and you do let moisture get into your seed storage area in some way, whatever whatever container you're using you'll notice you'll have moldy seeds. And once you have moldy seeds that are kind of sticking together and got a little fuzzy stuff all over them, they're just they're just not gonna germinate. You might as well throw yeah. the packet out. I mean maybe you'll get two or three to germinate, but it's really as a professional grower, you can no longer rely on that seed packet. Brilliant. So you might a lot as of well... energy to waste. Yeah, it really is, and money. My goodness. So <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how long as a professional seed uh, supplier, How long do you think is generally an okay time frame to think that you could store most seeds successfully and still have germination? Now bearing in mind, as I'm sure you're going to say, it depends on which crops, but what, yeah. what would
1: you say are some timeframes? Well, it 100% depends on how you're storing them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so generally, I mean, for us, we move seeds through so quickly. We have really quick turns mm-hmm. for that purpose. But as a grower, I mean, put aside my gardener's workshop and me, the flower farmer. If I'm storing them properly, at least two to three seasons, yeah. if they're being stored properly. And the easy way to figure out are they good seeds is to do a germination test. Right. You know, wet paper towel in a warm inside a little plastic bag, on warm a um, heat mat or in a very warm situation, um, and germ test them. You know, mm-hmm. do 20 seeds. And solve the mystery <laughs> before you actually try to sow the seeds. And you know, I mean, for me, frankly, back in the beginning, if a seed would have had fifty percent germination, I probably would not have thrown it away. Mm-hmm. I would throw it away today. Yeah, I mean, seeds are the I mean unless you're talking a high dollar seed um, it's just your time is so valuable to waste that much space. And you know, I am not all about double sowing, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, that's just gets' crazy,
0: yeah. And double sowing, it it does serve its purpose sometimes, but it just means that you have all this additional work then later on where you either have to tease them apart or pinch them out, or you may still have empty cells and all that stuff. I agree with you. At this point, if I think a packet doesn't have a solid 70% germination, I'd probably still throw it out because it's just too much work. Um, And I'll just echo that, yeah, here I generally will store most of my seeds for three seasons before I start thinking like, oh, I should probably get a new batch of that in, except for anything in the carrot family I get new seed every year because carrots just don't store and that's things like dacus and Ammi and um orlea all that stuff doesn't really like to hang out for
1: very long yeah huh. I guess you know it's so funny there's just certain seeds because I do have a an inside hook yeah for seed supply now <laughs> right um I never have to sit on seeds because we start I start all three of those and um I did not realize that they have a short shelf life I mean I'm very keenly aware of straw flowers and larkspur oh yeah straw those flowers another good one
0: yeah Yeah, Yeah. that's when I struggled for so long. I'm so glad you brought up strawflower because people have asked me and I forget. I forget sometimes these hard lessons I've learned. I spent like three years earlier on in my growing career trying to grow strawflowers. And I was like, what the heck? These things have such terrible germination rates. What's wrong? I don't know. I just, and I literally gave up on strawflowers for like, yep, I like five seasons. Like I just was like, this isn't worth it. And this was before you could buy strawflowers as plugs as readily as you can now, at least the interesting colors. And yeah. And then I don't know, some other grower told me like, oh no, you need fresh seed. And I was like, yeah. Oh, fresh seed, huh? And then, yeah, the, the I ordered a very fresh seed from Johnny's. I even like called them and said specifically, like, when, can you tell me when this was packed? Is this like this year's right. harvest or whatever? And they assured me it was like new fresh seed. This was before the gardener's workshop was selling seeds, I think. And uh, otherwise I would have called you, <laughs> but I, and I was like, okay, I'll give it one more shot. And lo and behold, like hundred percent germination Then, like, yeah. it's just about yeah. the freshness.
1: Yeah. We're doing some straw flower testing right now, yeah. some seed, and it's so interesting that some 100% just yeah. about, and some, uh-uh, no. and you, you knew you got old seed. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah. So it's so quick, I'm always quick to blame that it's operator error on myself, you know, to say it was me, but it can, in fact, with some seeds be, is it viable seed actually? Right,
0: yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned larkspur because I also have a terrible time with larkspur, but mostly because it's not because it's old seed, but just because I have bad soil for direct sowing and larkspur needs a lot of times to be direct sown. Some people claim they can put plugs in, but yeah. I've never been as successful. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, but maybe I've started um, saving my own seed of Larkspur so that I don't have to spend money on something that generally just doesn't germinate very well for me. (laughs) And we'll see. It's getting better, you know, year after year. (laughs) So, um, all right. So we've talked about freshness being really, really important um, and talking about storing them cold and dry is also important. Now let's talk about the actual sewing process and what it is to some of the basics. So um, proper timing is huge. Don't you think like knowing when to sew it?
1: Yeah. And I say I, I would say that there is a, a step before this. Ooh, oh, people need to I mean, I know that. I mean, we typically are only starting annuals. I mean, that's the the lion's share of our crops, right? So the next step is, is it a cool season hardy annual or is it a warm season Mm. tender annual? Because that leads you to when you have to start this. Because I totally agree. I believe that timing is everything from, oh my goodness, when you start the seed to when you plant it, to when you harvest it and the whole nine yards, right? So I think that that's an under... um, so under undermentioned step very often is that i mean i get the questions all the time it's like people that wanna sew bells of ireland that live in the south in april it's like, it's like well ours are like 30 inches tall yeah you need to like pin that packet to your calendar in the fall if you if it falls for you or much much earlier in the spring and so yeah time in is everything so um, I don't even think I've told you this that I'm in the middle of a book project. Oh, wait, which I can't divulge. <laughs> I can't divulge much information, okay. but I will tell you that that is something that I talk about. It's Ooh. like you just really have to before you even get all lathered up about yeah. seed starting. You've got to like divide your seeds right, cool and warm. Yeah. Yeah. And like that is
0: I, that's something that so many newer growers and we've got lots of newer listeners or new grower listeners um on the podcast here. Like you just think like I'm starting seeds. Period. Yeah. Like that's it. It's like one Big broad statement. I'm starting seeds, and 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 so many newer growers don't realize that there's a ton of nuance to starting seeds. Which does, like you said, it begins with understanding when the seed wants to be sown, and especially yeah. here in February when we're when you guys are listening to this, the so many people are going to want to start like all the seeds right away because they're super excited, and that is that is an understandable. Passionate response
1: (laughs) to growing seeds in winter. (laughs) Yeah. You're gonna lose them. (laughs) We used to do that, right? I can remember just, I mean, I tell people that probably the biggest gift in gardening and far which led me to be a farmer was Mm -hmm. Lynn Basinski was the one that opened the door to me to Cool Season Hardy Annuals, which of course became the book Cool Flowers. Mm -hmm. And while everybody else is standing there clutching their zinnias like they're their pearls, you know, there's <laughs> seeds. Those of us that understand that there are seeds that can be sown mm-hmm. when it's cool to cold and be yeah. started and planted out, you know, figuring this out just brings so much more fun. Yeah. In success, yeah. to start seeds, right? You know. Yeah, so you yeah, feel tar- like you're yeah.
0: you're 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 winning instead of of losing. You know, when you yeah. when you plant those zinnias in early February, but your last frost date yeah. isn't until May, that was literally a total waste. You will maybe limp across that last frost date line <laughs> with these seedlings, but they're gonna be so sad, and they'll never and yeah. make a good crop. So it's better yeah. to understand. So this. time, of the year so we can give everybody like a little nugget to chew on um in early february you would be sewing i would be selling straw flowers um snapdragons these are um some of the ones i do uh Leia could go uh if you want to do it as seedling or as a uh, transplants what am i missing lisa give me some others that
1: you would do oh, earlier well, so we we just finished starting our big push of seed starting for cool season hardy annuals. Hmm. Um, and that's, we plant. And so of course, everybody needs to know that I grow everything out in the field. I don't have any hoop houses, yep. right? Um, so we plant tons of stock, hmm. straw right. We start a lot of the um, sweet Williams that don't need vernalization like Amazon is my go-to. We start that, even though we planted that also in the fall, it winters over for us um, and I'm also sitting here thinking also the um annual baby's breath do you grow that Oh coat? I
0: don't but
1: I heard oh, you talk Jenny. about it last year that oh my you loved gosh. it You will it's white I mean it's yeah. like it is, it, I don't even want to call it baby's breath because yeah, you know, yeah. everybody they know what that looks like it is the sweetest and it is super cold hardy Okay. I would almost be willing to. What are you? Are you six or seven? Uh,
0: uh, technically seven. Uh, maybe a little bit six B. But yeah, seven. Okay. I feel pretty safe in now.
1: Yeah. So, um, so we have some of that. I'm just thinking what's growing in yeah. there in my room. We just have so much stock and straw flowers yeah. growing because we yeah. start them by the colors, you know. Right. Um, but tec techni- and calangela. Oh yep. Yeah. Billy mm-hmm. balls, craspedia. Um, So really all of the cool season hardy annuals can be planted by pretty much everybody six to eight weeks before your last frost date which that for me is mid February and we typically just plant transplants because you can't get a seed to sow outside in Mm -hmm. freezing weather because I mean we're still frozen and cold but our beds were prepared last year to receive these plants that we're starting. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So that's what we're busy with, which keeps us from starting our warm season (laughs) stuff too soon. Right. It saves you. It makes you a better gardener and farmer because you're too busy doing what you're supposed to do at the right time.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, Everybody, just slow your roll. Don't do your your warm annuals too soon. Yes. Is ultimately the message that's coming across there. Okay, so. The next thing is to talk about the actual sewing process, and you and I differ here a little bit, um, in friendly ways, not not any uh um, any sort of oh uh, come on
1: let's ex- bar oh
0: let's do it no I'm just kidding we've <laughs> had we've had this talk before you do mostly soil blocks I do mostly um, cell trays, and I mm. have for the record done soil blocking, but it's been a challenge for me because I grow in a greenhouse and they dry out so so fast in a greenhouse, so I I love the concept of soil blocks but they really haven't worked out as somebody who's in a greenhouse setting but for people who are growing indoors literally in inside a building like you are Lisa soil blocks Mm -hmm. seem to be awesome and there's lots of ways to skin that cat in terms of like, what are you putting in your soil block or what are you putting in your cell trays? Um, But let's talk about your soil block mix. Exactly. What are the ingredients for that? You don't have to do the whole recipe, but what are the ingredients you're putting in a soil block?
1: Sure. Um, So it's really pretty simple. It's kind of like a pound cake. Um, It's just peat moss or cocoa fiber, your choice. Although I do find cocoa fiber definitely dries out much more quickly than peat does. Um, So it's, peat moss or or cocoa and compost, along with the nutrients, um, green sand and rock phosphate. Um, And that's Elliot Coleman's recipe for the small blocker, um, which is what I just followed what he laid out. And it has um, truly paved the road to our seedling success because it's more than just having soil to plant your seeds in. It's creating that biological system from the ground up and I didn't realize all that. I mean, looking back now, it's like, why was I so fortunate to learn how to prepare soil before? I mean, I didn't have a tractor for 12 years, you know? I mean, so I was doing all the, we didn't call it no till. <laughs> I you know? know that's a new buzzword. But that's kind of what <laughs> happened and we use tons of compost mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So that's what our blocking mix is made out of. It is not non-sterile. We. I don't want anything sterile in my organic world, pretty much. Yeah. Amen, and sister. Believe, and I believe that has a huge impact on your, I mean, all you have to read, you know, the book, the, the Bible that got me started, the gardening book is Elliot Coleman's New Organic Grower. And when he explains why it works, it's like, it makes perfect sense why our seedlings are so deep green, why they are short and stocky and they grow so fast and they hit the ground running. And, you know, I am a firm believer that a healthy transplant leads to more cash mm-hmm. in the end. Amen. Yeah. I preach to. it.
0: <laughs> preach it's it. true. Yeah, it's true. So um there's been lots of studies. And then also if you're just a grower and you've observed, you'll realize this that the first, like I think it was I think it was maybe the first two days. Now I got to go back and find the study. I'll I'll try to find it and put a link in the show notes. But I think it's the first two days of a seedling's life literally sets the trajectory for that plant for the rest of its life. As in, like, if it doesn't get exactly what it needs and the way it thrives, you know, the right temperature, the right amount of moisture, the right nutrients, the right microbes, um, all of that stuff, the first two days are so, so important to how productive that crop will be ultimately like, will you actually make money off of that? So it's so important to... Really spend time and energy on understanding seedling health and what you can do to enhance yeah. seedling health. So it's not just about getting that seed to germinate, which I think is where we all start, where it's just like, oh yay, baby plant, it's here, and you like you feel like, wow, I did it. But there's actually a lot more to that than um, than just getting it to crack the seed coat and and send up a few little baby leaves. And that's I think that's really what I wanted to kind of dive deeper into with you, Lisa, was to talk about. this idea of how we can set our seedlings up for ultimate long-term health. Um, I liken it a little bit to like mother's milk. When a a mammal baby is first born, you know, it it gets its mother's milk right away. And in that mother's milk, there's all sorts of, you know, microbes, there's uh, hormones, there's nutrients that are only available for a short amount of time. And it's that mother's milk that really enhances um, and boosts the baby's immune system and then it's it's also that mother's milk that feeds just the right nutrients to it to uh be able for that young young creature to grow and it's exactly the same with seedlings so now we have to figure out what is exactly mother's milk
1: <laughs> for seedlings well, and you know i think it's and y'all we did jenny and i did not talk plan this out i mean it's so no, funny. this is totally impromptu While we do things pretty differently as every farmer does <laughs> Um, The bottom line is the same. First off, when you were just saying that about how those first couple of days after the birthing of a seed where Mm -hmm. it goes, I mean, I just talk about birthing seeds. It's like being in the presence of that happening is just like the most... That's why people start way more seeds than they need. That's why <laughs> people, and I'm going to pick on men. Cause my husband used to be one of them. He only needed five tomato plants, <laughs> but he started 300. <laughs> right. And it's because that it's that miracle, right? Yeah, of, that energy. Of it. Of that. But what I wanted to say is when you were saying that about how, how that seedling is being, how the environment that it's in, um, where you can probably maybe overcome the struggle if that during that two weeks, if you work really hard at it later in life to try to make it up. You want to know what else is like that? Are dogs. I have to say, <laughs> because I used to be a puppy tester, temperament testing puppies. Oh, wow. Back I didn't know when I worked in a vet and had was in the sport of dogs. Puppies, that first seven weeks, that's why it's so important where you buy your dog. I yes. mean, you want to buy from serious dog people hobby people that socialize and do all the proper things when they're little because the seventh week is the fear week bad thing dogs that get bumped with a vacuum cleaner during the seventh week are going to be afraid of vacuum cleaners for the rest of their life oh wow i had no idea (laughs) well but but the bottom line is yes you can spend the rest of their life overcoming it and we do that because few dogs actually get socialized in all things Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. they're all fearful of something um But I think that's just true in plants, anything living. Yeah. There's that, you reach that point and you can go this way or you can go, you can go to the right or you can go to the left. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. um, With plants, I mean, I'm just such a believer in getting them in the garden at the proper time, not early, hopefully not late, but definitely not too early. Mm -hmm. And having a healthy transplant means that the rest of the growing experience is so simple. I mean, yeah. It's, it's absolutely true simplifies.
0: because it so, so much of the time, you know, like, so, okay, here we are in February where everybody feels like it's going to be the best season ever.
1: Yeah, <laughs> what a myth.
0: It, yeah, it is myth for the record. But what we do right now can translate to come August, we have plants out in the field that if we... Really pay attention, like you said. Like with the same with dogs, if you if you socialize them, do all the right things in the first seven weeks, that'll be an easy dog for the rest of its life. The same way, if you raise a healthy transplant right now, and really yeah. focus your energy and possibly your money on this moment in this in this um, young seedling's life, when it comes August, you won't have as much weed pressure. You want to know why? Because that plant grew up and put a big canopy yeah. on and shaded out the out the competition. You'll also won't have as much disease pressure because that plant will be healthy and have all the microbes associated with it that it needs to and have a good root system etc etc you won't have the pest pressure because it's going to be photosynthesizing at its maximum potential um, and the the pests aren't going to come in there was a whole episode on this on the podcast here about bricks you can go back and listen to that Um, and and so there's all these things it's like a compounding like positivity or a compounding negativity if you don't do it right yeah Yeah. so not to put too much pressure on everybody in this moment because i know there's a lot of people that already have a ton of anxiety about seed starting this is something you learn slowly you guys you'll listen to this and you'll hear other strategies and you'll you'll get it with time don't freak out
1: Way you're going to learn is by doing it and screwing yeah. up. I mean, how many? I think I was on a live one day where and somebody asked me, they were so uptight about their it was the cold, it was probably right before the polar blast. Oh, yeah, of December of 2022. Yeah, and so many people that had fall planted cool flowers were so deeply concerned, as I was, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the wind, yeah, the we wind, had two and a half days of blowing 40 mile an hour winds, mm-hmm. and um. Somebody was just really freaking out. And I said, y'all, do you have any idea how many tens of thousands of plants that I have killed? (laughs) I mean, it's like, and that was like, they're like, you're kidding. I'm like, no, Yes, there's so many dead bodies back behind me. (laughs) I mean, It's a trap. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But that's what it takes to learn. Yes, it does. You have to make a failure or a mistake at Mm -hmm. least once a day, at least once a day or you're not doing something right. Yeah. You'll never do anything right. And yeah. so, yeah, I don't want people to feel pressured, Um, but I never, I mean, of course, back when I first started farming, I I actually had bought some bricks. Um, I had bought some products for a lot of the things that you talk about. Peaceful Valley sold a yeah. lot of brews that yes. you mixed. And I mean, they sat in my cellar for so many years because there really wasn't any support of information 25 years ago, right? you know, about doing it. And I got frustrated anyway. So we've all been, you know, don't, don't let people do not get stressed. Yes. To keep starting seeds and figuring it out yes
0: and i've always said and i know you you've said it too lisa seeds are cheap at the end of the yep. day seeds are the cheapest thing you're going to input into your farm everything else is a lot more expensive but seeds are cheap there's right. obviously a couple fancy extra expensive ones out there but even right. the really expensive ones frankly are not that expensive um when you come right. down to the like per seed price we're talking like a half a cent to like two cents each. So it's not so bad. Um, and and so you might as well, you know, test your, test your metal on those on seeds instead of buying in a bunch of expensive plants and then failing sure. with expensive
1: plants, which is a lot worse. So it fail with seeds, I guess. And I think um, given your seedlings, you know, I have five I have tweaked, you know, I grow in a grow room. I don't have a greenhouse as we've mentioned earlier and I just have an easy control on the temp- air temperature in there and have lights. And I mean, when you just figure out your space,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it just does make it so much easier. I feel the frustration of people that are trying to start inside of a home um, where they like, you know, you've got to have at least like a pantry you have to have a an enclosed area that you can kind of control it a little bit more than the corner of your kitchen. Yeah. Your family's gonna, you know, cry, uncle, <laughs> if you try to, you know, mess with the temperature too much. But I think it's worth figuring that out because that's been my key to success. I feel like, you mm-hmm. know, what I mean, but when we were starting a hundred thousand seedlings a year throughout the whole year, throughout the, all the seasons. I mean, we kill a lot of stuff doing that. You (laughs) know what I mean? We figured it out. And I do think that us being flower farmers, Jenny, because we're starting volume, that gives us an advantage. The person at home that's just starting a few or a new grower that's not quite starting as many, um, it's not quite as obvious when you obviously made a mistake you know (laughs) Um, yeah so I understand that struggle but don't be discouraged just keep keep trying keep Keep trying yeah
0: yeah and you brought up a good point um in terms of the actual like the germination stage of things having a super controlled environment is hugely hugely helpful um so you can control the humidity you control the temperature just right and so for me what i've done here is similar to you actually is i do start all my seeds inside of a quote-unquote germination chamber which is just a germination room which is my cooler normally during the flower growing year i you know that's my cooler it's a highly insulated space and so it's very easy to flip a cooler to become your germination space in january february and march before you'd have flowers and need them because then you can just really dial it in um, and just put some lights in there and that's been hugely helpful to me since i've i've moved to that system but there's also plenty of uh, youtube videos and and I don't know, plans online for building, uh, uh, taking an old stand-up, well, or old freezer. I don't know whether it has to be a stand-up freezer initially or not, but taking an old freezer... Um, like a deep freezer and turning it into a germination chamber, which Mm -hmm. so if you're somebody who really doesn't have space and you're new to this, but you're kind of handy, all you need is find a place that's got a junk freezer. You could probably get it for free. And then you need like a crock pot and you need some like shelving in there and then you're Mm -hmm. good to go and you can germinate thousands and thousands of seedlings uh, in that environment. So look that up, you guys, if you haven't ever heard of a germination chamber like that. Um, Yeah, it's,
1: there's, it's amazing the things you can do when you're kind of desperate. Yeah.
0: When an ingenuity, baby ingenuity. That's right.
1: that's <laughs> yeah. Right. That's yeah. Right.
0: yeah. Somebody recently told me, oh, I'm going to botch this saying but I, it was something about like constraint. It's not, it's a, not necessarily necessity. It is the mother-invention, but constraint when you're limited is when yeah. you think bigger. Actually, that's when it like forces you to think bigger is when you have limitations. And I kind of loved yeah. that.
1: I kind of think that's really true. You know, that when at the highest dollar per square foot I ever reaped on Mm. my farm was back when I only had two quarter acre gardens. Yeah. Then you start expanding and getting more spaces. You lose that concentration of effort and just milking something for all of its worth and getting everything out of it. So I totally believe in that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Okay. So, we've got, I'm kind of losing my train of thought with all where I was headed with this trajectory. So we've got, oh, the germination, like controlling the conditions. And this is going to be different, everybody, for different crops, depending on whether it's a cold, cool season crop or a hot annual season crop. Um, But generally, generally... Uh, like sixty-eight, seventy-ish, right, Lisa? Do you feel like um, that temperature is kind of a decent temperature if you had to pick? A... The air temperature. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, air temperature. Yeah. Like, uh people right. have no, to I always... do all of it yeah. in one room, basically.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so for cool, for us, when especially if they're using a seedling heat mat, mm. I find that the air temperature between sixty-five and sixty-eight, cool-season hardy annuals like warm soil cool air. That's what seems to have the best germination. And then once we start warm season stuff, we drive that temperature up in the room because um, they they need more warmth. Some warmth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But now how do you manage to grow the shorter stockier seedlings if it's a warm room like do you drop the temperature then because a lot of times for those that don't know there's something called diff d-i-f which is the difference in temperature between if you are growing outside daytime and nighttime temperature when you're indoors in a super controlled environment you often want to um kind of Uh, control diff because that's what creates whether plants get super long and leggy or they stay nice and squat. And for the record, you generally want more squat seedlings because they're healthier. A lot of times people say like, look, my calendula seedlings are like four inches tall, to which I say, oh boy, just start over. You know, if they're like the long, wimpy, wispy things. So how are you keeping yours short and stocky? I mean, in the greenhouse, I feel like it's a little easier for me.
1: But in a room, how do you do that? So I really just we keep it cool when we're drawing cool season hardy annuals, the air temperature um, and what part of my room is like a 10 by 10 room mm-hmm. and it's got lots of windows, which we don't rely on those windows for light. Um, It just happened to be built that way. I didn't, you know, I was very inexperienced when we built this building. I thought that that was going to contribute, but in fact, it didn't. So when we're growing cool season hardy annuals, um, we leave the door open to that room, to this big room that I'm sitting in now. And so that kind of keeps the temperatures from actually climbing in there. Um, And, you know, frankly, we just, we have grow lights that are right on top of the transplants. We, there are surely... I'm just trying to think who, I mean, sweet peas are one of those crops Mm. that we we germinate them outside now in the the cool, as Farmer Bailey talks about, um, because they do elongate. You can't keep them short. No, you can't. It's the temperature. (laughs) It's the temperature that's driving them. But in general, 90% of the seedlings that we grow, we just keep them cool for cool season. And when I say cool, we're just not letting it climb up in the afternoons when it's bright sun in there um, and I'm sure that there are crops that that would make a huge difference the diff would yeah but in general we just don't find that to be a real problem and again that's just another I mean Jenny you may or may not know this but I'm a pretty simple person <laughs> I just try to find what works yeah. for the mass yep. and there's some things that it just doesn't work well for and I either say well Get on down the road. We don't need you in our lineup. <laughs> or I try to figure it out like we did with sweet peas. Yeah. Um, But it's just trying to keep the temps from climbing yeah. when it's cool and stuff. Um And the hot stuff just will take it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll echo that. Just keep it cool. Like slow, you know, cool and slow is the way to go instead of fast yeah. and hot. Um Seedlings yeah. that are grown too hot, they just never you really you just can't shrink them you know like if they get this long weak stretchy stem you know it's that that there is a seedling that will never really be productive it will always struggle add them to the
1: compost bin Yep. i mean i am so quick to throw out you know what who else i was trying to think who else has that problem (laughs) you know because we start tons of sunflowers we start sunflowers every single week and depending on what the weather's doing outside as far as early in the season. We will we we'll start them all indoors in plug trays on heat. Then I would pop them on hmm. the floor under my lowest shelf that doesn't have anything on it yet mm-hmm. with a grow light above it. Those sunflowers will get so lanky. <laughs> so oh my lanky. God. It's, I mean, and it's like, you can't, you don't have enough money to pay people to plant them nope. because they are a nightmare and they don't ever perform. Yeah. That's what I think people need to understand. Yeah. We've tracked it. Healthy transplants produce more abundance, taller stems, better quality. Puny transplants struggle, make you crazy. You pull your hair out. Yep. And then in the end, you don't even have that much to show. You'll have some flowers, but you'll think, why Why are these blooms so much smaller? Yeah. Why are they just not, or they fell worse yet, falling victims to pests? Yeah. Well, guess what? It was your seed starting right. process that caused that to happen. To and to I just wish somebody would have told me that yeah. 25. So wait, 20 what's years what's
0: what's your your secret for sunflowers starting indoors now because I so I try to do this like really early uh um sowing of sunflowers indoors because what i do is i interplant them with my mm-hmm. overwintered dahlias so i have these dahlias that stay in the ground right. and when we uncover that dahlia patch in early april there's all this open space that's not going to have anything really in it you know for right. another month so i can get this like early succession of pro cut horizon because that's a 60-day sunflower um but i have to start them indoors first and sometimes they do fine. And then other times they're stupid leggy rats and I'm so annoyed with them. And I never really understood what the difference is. Do you have yeah, a specific
1: so, trick? I mean, we, um, our plan is always to get them in the ground when they're two and a half weeks old. Okay. I mean, you go days, past. that's, that's for our environment. We say two to three weeks, but for us, Bobo has perfected at two weeks. They're about, I would guess four mm-hmm. and a half inches or so, and she can pull the stem and it pops right out of the cell pack um and it, the timing is really really important and if we and obviously that early in the year you wouldn't be setting them outside um until it's time to plant or yeah. you putting them in a the house i guess um so i would start them inside on heat and the minute you start seeing necks coming up get, get them under growth grow okay. right on above them but have don't start them until you're about two weeks out from when you're going to uncover those dahlias um because bobo has said She's the planner here. Mm. It is easy, even if she has to dig a few of them out of the cell pack with a little wooden um, plant, like a popsicle stick or a butter knife. Butter so knife, annoying. Great. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, it's so annoying. But she said it's easier for me to have them a little earlier to have to do that than to have those tangled up. I mean, those twisted necks, mm. they go in. Mm to eat now yeah but yeah it's a lack of light yeah and sitting in trays too long and they're impossible
0: yeah i think i think what it is is i've probably started them well it's like you know it's tricky that time of the year because i'm yeah. I, it's like when will it because sunflowers are a little frost tolerant if if you do it just right you know you got to put the frost cloth over them harden them off right i know jonathan lease um and megan have have mastered that um at Springforth farm So I've, I've tried to replicate that, but you know, it's still, it's early April, who the heck knows what's going to happen with the weather. And it was probably the years and I wasn't really thinking about, yeah, it's even just that one extra week spent in a cell tray is, you know, that's when they're
1: not going to do it right. So, yeah. And you know, as you, sunflowers are so much more hardy. We get sunflowers, um, two weeks before mother's day. Wow. Planting them outside. I mean, they are cold hardier than we think they Mm -hmm. are. And we start. we have a big, I do them. um, and have a lot of people that follow along with us and do it. Um, it's just amazing under that row cover how early you can get those boogers out there. Yeah, as transplants, right. obviously.
0: As transplants, yeah, because the soil's too cool. For the record, don't yeah. go direct seeding your sunflowers yeah. in April. <laughs> that is not sure. going to work. That's sure. just bird food. That's what that is. So, all right, so we talked about timing um, in terms of, uh, you know, not starting too early and the temperatures and stuff. But one other thing I want to mention about timing, which I cannot really articulate very well because I'm not that good at this yet, but um, is biodynamics, like sowing by the biodynamic calendar, which is what I started doing. We started doing it at my farm, I think, two years ago now. I, for the record, I am no... A wealth of knowledge about biodynamics. I had a wonderful episode back in season two with Erica and Ken from Teton Full Circle Farm. That's a biodynamic flower farm. You should listen to that if you haven't already. But the one piece of biodynamics that I've been able to implement successfully, because it's a very complex system, I guess is the right word, system, practice, I don't know. Religion, possibly, uh, but it's a very dynamic thing, and it's complex. And I, frankly, have yet to wrap my whole brain around all of it. But the the sewing by the biodynamic calendar has actually worked really well for me. Like I was very skeptical of this in the beginning, and we we tracked the sort of the success rate of sewing just generically like I'd always done with my sewing schedule that I'd had for like a decade plus, versus now transferring that sewing schedule to the biodynamic calendar. And I'm going to tell you, Lisa, and you know me, I, I'm not really into like a lot of like foo-foo stuff. I'm kind of a real like gritty nuts and bolts person, but the seedlings germinate so much faster when you follow the biodynamic calendar and they are like uniform germination, instead of like sometimes, you know, it'll be certain seeds that are kind of a little spotty up and down. Um, there's something about that biodynamic calendar that really makes sense because it has to do with the... The pool and the energy in the world of, like, water rising and falling down in the soil profile, and then also um, just the celestial energy. Um, And there's lots of science to actually back this up now. This is not totally woo-woo. So I'm just going to say for listeners, you may want to try the biodynamic calendar and if you have no idea where to start with that, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an, a website where you can find out the right date for what you're sewing based on the biodynamic calendar. It makes it really easy. I
1: see you have questions, so, Lisa. <laughs> so when, when you say sewing, mm-hmm. you're talking about starting indoors, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. we typically say that and think outdoors. So yeah. I just want to clarify. So yeah. you're yeah. talking about starting indoors. And so that link that you're going to put, does that include flowers? I mean, yes. do they have specific flower? Okay. Yeah. Well, like, I, what I'm it is, is, the
0: the the basic formula is that there are, so the, the and again, you guys, Anybody who's actually like a biodynamic master, please forgive me right now because I really I don't know that much about this. but basically, the biodynamic calendar is, is um, broken down into lots of different components that go into it. but we're just going to talk about moon phases right now. So there's the, the sort of the waxing moon, the waning moon, there's new moon and there's a full moon. And because of the moon cycle, there's certain days you should be sowing seeds. There's certain days you should be transplanting seedlings. There's certain days you should do nothing. It literally says it's the barren phase. And so within the days of the month that you should – or the days of the moon cycle, which I believe is waxing (laughs) – Actually, now I'm going to forget, but (laughs) I'm telling you, I just follow this website, you guys. I am no no practitioner. Uh, But anyway, within those sowing days, those days that are designated for seed sowing, there are days specifically uh, annotated as flower seed sowing days, root Hmm. seed sowing days, leaf seed sowing days, and fruit seed sowing days. So there's four categories of plants, you know, so it's like you'd sow lettuce on a different day than you would sow um, uh, broccoli, because broccoli is considered a flower. Um, uh, and with, with us, you know, there's, you would sow eucalyptus on a different day than you would sow zinnias. So um, it's interesting and worth looking into. One of the things I like about the biodynamic calendar is that it's just helped me kind of block off specific days to do seed sowing. At first, I thought it was going to be really hard to get all my seeds sown in this, like, one day. (laughs) Uh, But really, it's, it's helped... What's ultimately done is it then staggers the planting and the transplanting. It it really works itself out. It's like kind of a, a nice little timetable. Um, but again, I'm not I'm not well versed enough to talk about this altogether. Other than to say I use the biodynamic calendar. I do think it works. I will put a link in the show notes to the um, to the the site that I use to help me decide which days are the right days. And my upcoming biodynamic seed sowing for flowers day in Philadelphia because it does differ by year where you are in the world a lot in terms of like your parallels and all that stuff but mine is February 21st is my next big seed sowing day um for the biodynamic calendar all right cool that felt like a lot to talk about um, natural inputs as well, uh, just to bounce across some of the things we've already talked about, Lisa, in terms of like what you can put in that soil mix, what you can spray on young seedlings to help with the germination, that mother's milk concept that we were talking about. So when I say natural inputs, that's a term we use in regenerative farming, which basically means... Usually, it's something you make yourself, but sometimes you buy it. But it's a lot, a lot to do with like a homemade thing, and it uses just natural inputs, natural ingredients to make this thing. Um, right. Or you could buy it in. So uh, one of the ones that I use uh, for seed starting is well, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually back up and refer to Korean natural farming and Jadam. These are two practices again systems that talk about this a lot and um, if you haven't already go back and listen to some of my other podcast episodes about korean natural farming and jadam and that's where a lot of these inputs come from so there's something in knf korean natural farming called uh, wca that stands for water soluble calcium this is an input that you can make yourself at home using eggshells and vinegar so eggshells and i use an apple cider vinegar you could use a brown rice vinegar not a white vinegar don't use a white vinegar you basically need sort of like this raw vinegar that has all the microbes in it still as well and you um just put um, the eggshells in the vinegar for a week or two and they extract the calcium out of the eggshells and now you have a liquid Um, calcium feed for your young seedlings and we use it for everything in our farm not just that I will put a link in the show notes to a recipe for how to make this specifically but essentially seeds and seedlings once they're born need calcium uh, to create good strong root systems and this is just an easy way to put calcium into the mix Lisa, do you use anything that's like a calcium additive to your mix in any way? Is that the green sand maybe? Or
1: do you know the if there's anything? Green sand is a micronutrients. And I'm just sitting here looking at um and it's full of a lot of good stuff, but it's yeah. got a broad range of micronutrients, plus I mean has obviously got potassium in yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Um and so our we put rock phosphate, which is actually colloidal phosphate. Mm. Um, and it's just It's in a form that your plants can actually utilize. Yeah. Because one of the struggles that we hear people, you know, back when I started soil blocking, literally a quarter of a century ago, you could go to the big box stores and find green sand and rock phosphate right next to the bone meal on those shelves. You know, where they had the the uh, the individual Mm -hmm. ingredients um, to do it, and that's no longer the case, right? I mean, as we have kind of Phase these out. But no, I have not specifically added any calcium um, to that stage. And again, I guess for me, using soil blocks, mm-hmm. the growing time is so short. You know, we shave about a third of the transplant growing time inside um, that I may try it. Yeah, you no. Know, you, never know, you, you never know what you're missing <laughs> until you try something. Right. Right. But I mean, up until we just. We've had healthy, great seedlings. Mm -hmm. Would I love them better? Of course I would. (laughs) You know, but for me, if the wheel doesn't squeak because of the broad, especially I know people that don't have help like you and I do, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to see these little Bumps that you can do that can really add richness to your process. Yeah. But you might not even be able to recognize, much less do it.
0: Right. So, yeah. And idea. everything I talk about here is just like these are things that studies have shown increase seedling health but it doesn't mean you have to do all of them Always, obviously loads of seedlings are grown without all this extra Bye. fuss um, this is just that sort of like that idea of adding a little bit of mother's milk to to the process just to get them extra extra revved up so various studies have just shown that um, calcium enhances um, the germination and then also will lengthen the the radical that very first root that a seedling develops yeah. Um, when calcium is present, specifically in studies, they've noted that the radical lengthens much more quickly, um, and just in general is longer. And therefore, with that longer, healthier radical, that means the seedling's able to absorb nutrients and water faster. You know, so it'll it'll mm-hmm. rev it up. That makes
1: perfect sense. Yeah.
0: So that's what the calcium's about. Then there's also kelp or seaweed. That's another stimulant for germination, which I'm yeah. suspecting is in that green. Um, green sand somehow or another. I don't know, something like this
1: is probably present already for you. Um, You know, that um, what was so interesting years and years ago, when I was out traveling on the road speaking, I um, followed a guy in a room, you know, his breakout sessions. He's not a farmer his name was Paul Tukey. He was an organic lawn care professional. He Hmm. used to have a show on Home Garden TV and he starts his talk off by telling why he's not on Home Garden TV anymore. (laughs) There was no advertising dollars in his show. And, but he shared the secret of these amazing lawns that they would grow. And they sprayed this after they sow the the seeds, Mm -hmm. which are then um, lightly covered with compost, um, but then they sprayed them with either seaweed fish, um, a, a lower dose mm-hmm. than what your bone actually says, um, or a kelp-like liquid. And he said it enhances germination so much. So ever since he has said that, um, if the time allows itself, <laughs> Not always. (laughs) Um, I will miss my blocks after I've sewed, especially if it's a difficult to, Mm -hmm. you know, one that I think might need a little bit of extra, but it's the seaweed that, um, seems to i mean we definitely see an increase yeah
0: it's the so what what it's what's happening there is in kelp or seaweed um there are um plant growth hormones so there's something called right. gibberellins and oxins are both in uh, kelp and seaweed I don't know whether kelp and seaweed are totally interchangeable for the record. I don't know whether that's the exact same plant or not. But anyway, uh, kelp I use a product called MaxiCrop for what it's worth. It's a powder that you then mix into um, into water and you can spray it. But basically the gibberellins that are in there, that's a plant growth hormone totally natural for the record, Hi. um exists, you know, just in the world. The gibberellins help crack the seed coat. So it kind of works as like a as a you know, an, an enzyme that chews up the seed coat, which is a good thing when you want the seed to germinate. So that helps do faster germination. Eads it up, yep. yep. And then the auxins um, contribute, once the seed's actually germinated, the auxins contribute to um, enhanced root development. So then again, it's like, basically, if you can get a seedling to have a really healthy root system faster, that is the gold, that is, that is what you're after because Once a seedling has a good, healthy root system, then the seedling itself will be fine thereafter, no matter what abuse you subject it
1: to. I mean, it's really true. I mean, as soon as a seed can get busy Mm -hmm. and do its job, they don't get into trouble anymore. I mean, that's the way I kind of look (laughs) at it. And temperature plays a role in that, too. I was just trying to look to see, um, do you have the nerd book? The nerd it's not book. actually a book. Um, it's on seed germination Ooh. by Dr. It's online now. I can send you the link and we yeah, can yeah. put it in notes for yeah. anybody that wants it. Um, this is Dr. Dino's D E N O. You don't have this book. I don't have this book. So it's not even really a book, it's like this thick, it's like an inch and a half thick. I got the first book, I saw it, I forget where, I mean, I've had it since the beginning of time. You sent like your $35 in and they sent you one, he did it for a university. Well, now there's, it's 1993 is the first, 1996 and 1998. You can find them online. Anyway, it's a nerd's deep dive about every different kind of seed. And he was talking about, cause I was gonna look in there and see, He was talking about how it's the theory, seed germination theory and practice. And this is not a sit down, you know, easy read. Um, But it talks in there about how temperature also plays a role in this process that we're talking about. Right. Um, And there were some surprising things that he said when I was rereading it yesterday. Pulled it out. And um, so but I also want to say to people don't think it has to be this complicated. How long I've been farming for 25 years. How long you been farming, Jenny? 15 now. Yep. So we've had a long time (laughs) of not doing all this stuff of great success. Yes. So you, this is like, you want to just get better and more refined and grow better, healthier plants and be sustainable in your environment and make your, I mean, We've been saying since the beginning of time, I want to garden and have it get easier every year. Yep. And that's what using the inputs. I also feel like, and this is something that Elliot Coleman, I really kind of zeroed in on when I first started soil blocking. That killer soil blocking mix that I use with all the plants I'm transplanting out in my garden. Figure out how much input into your garden mm-hmm. soil that ecosystem yep. is and that's it's just really really important and I think people just undervalue I mean I'm so glad that we talked about seed starting because I think people think it's just getting a plant big enough to put it out in the right. garden exactly yeah but and there's it can so much, start that way
0: it can it can but there's also lots of listeners to the show who have had time and some experience to to get to the point where they're ready to up their game yeah and when you when you awesome. create create this soil mixture, this living soil. For the record, ultimately a a seedling started in living soil that has lots of good, um, good inputs to it but soil, it's also rich in biology. Like you said, Lisa, you put that yeah. into your, your soil out in your in your beds, and now suddenly you've just transferred and amplified all of that goodness yeah. out into your beds. And you do that season over season over season, and you really make a huge difference in what you have out there. So that's why I just wanted to go into, into the detail of it a little bit but not to intimidate anybody either. And so a couple other inputs that I'll just rattle off in terms of like, these are a little like, these are, this is like extra credit, you know, it's extra credit in class. You can get an A without it, but if you want to get an A plus plus plus, you go, you go do this extra credit. So some of the extra credit is something that's um, an input that you can make yourself. It's part of Korean natural farming's um, inputs. It's called LAB and LAB stands for lactic acid bacillus. It's a type of bacteria, a very good bacteria. It basically ferments on or grows on, on milk. Um, that's what the lactic acid part of it is. And this is a very good bacteria that is excellent for combating diseases. It's very good for staving off pythium and fusarium. So this is sort of a natural alternative to buying things like root shield or Actinovate and that kind of stuff. Um, so I like to in- include LAB be in my seed sowing process so that I will have less disease pressure um, early on in the seedling's life Uh, and then another super weirdo thing which I use a little bit but this is totally in left field you guys this is not something I'm actually like saying go get this right now is something called wood vinegar have you heard about this yet Lisa? Uh -uh. Yeah so there's this So listeners of the podcast will hopefully remember there was an episode on making biochar so there's this thing you can do is you can make biochar by burning burning wood debris, woody debris, and that creates biochar that you put into the soil and that helps with building um, essentially housing for microbiology and then also soil retention and so forth. But during the process of making biochar, there's this smoke that um, kind of, you know, is given off by the process. And people have found a way to sort of condense that smoke into a liquid form, which they're calling wood vinegar is the product name of the, of it in general. I think they're trying to delineate it from liquid smoke because liquid smoke's like that oh, stuff you yeah. use in yeah. the barbecue. Yeah. So it's a weird name. Wood vinegar is a weird name, but it is essentially liquidized smoke smoke um, and the reason I mention it is because there's some studies that show that it enhances germination because there are certain species of like say wildflowers or um, some perennials and so forth that only germinate naturally after a wildfire comes through. Um, yes. and the wild, and the fire, the smoke, triggers their germination and so I just thought I would briefly mention wood vinegar because apparently it can help aid in germination of some of the like trickier perennial stuff that maybe sometimes yeah. we wanted to germinate and we're having a hard time with so I don't personally Interesting. I, yeah it's weird I have a bottle of it that I've been sort of playing around with I don't I can't sit here and say like you need to use wood vinegar I, I really don't have enough like faith in it but it is something worth mentioning it for the total nerds in the in the audience <laughs> to
1: see what that's yeah, about. And I think the more you start seeds, the more things like this you start, you mm-hmm. want to get better. You want to yeah. perfect process. Yeah. That's um, yeah. so awesome.
0: Yeah. So the last bit that I will say for, and you do this too in your mix, um, Lisa, I know, is we got to get microbes In there. We do not want a sterile environment. There's too often, for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, a lot of horticulturalists, a lot of gardeners got brainwashed into thinking you should have sterile, like a sterile space. You need sterile soil, sterile seeds. You have to like sterilize everything, get rid of all germs, quote unquote. But in reality, seeds have evolved with specific microbes like that are like they're co-pilots they need these microbes to understand that it's time to germinate <laughs> like they can't right. if they don't have them there's a really cool book i don't know if you've read it yet lisa it's by jeff Loenfeld. he's the guy that did the teaming with bacteria teaming with microbes yeah. teaming with fungi the teaming <laughs> teaming books yeah. Uh, teeming, yeah yeah the teaming guy and he just came out with i think it's called i think This one is teeming with bacteria. But in that, he talks about how seeds have evolved so much with bacteria. Like, there's all these studies that show how important that bacteria is to them. So we do not want to sterilize our seeds um, because you're going to take away what they need to germinate. And then you also want to put them into an environment with lots of life, you guys. Lots of life. (laughs) Like, so much life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's just, if you just kind of stop and think about it, it's like, gosh, you want to put this teeny little living thing Mm -hmm. on top of this iceberg. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I mean, it's like, there's nothing there to support it or to help it or yeah, it just made perfectly good sense to me. I mean, I just, yeah. Totally agree.
0: Yeah. And for you, you put um, compost in your soil block mix, and that's your source of microbiology um, yeah. in general, right? Yeah. Yes. And how much how... good quality yeah. compost? Yeah. I think that's the key. I wanted to say, it's like you need to have a good, well-aged compost, um, not new raw compost or compost that's got lots of weird, big, chunky bits in it. Do you screen your compost I, when you put it in?
1: We Well, for soil blocking, you pretty much, I mean, should screen to. everything. You're, yeah, you just it's just easier to do it. Um, and, you know, I've often told people, it's like, all right, it's February. You might not be able to get compost where you are right now. That's really great. But you should buy it right now have it for a year from now you won't have to worry so if you get a year ahead you know i am a firm believer and we don't even use manures anymore so with the herbicide issue um but we used to get our manures and let them and we would compost them for a year we didn't depend on other people's word to do that um but yeah the compost you just have to really screen it um and then we store it so that it you know stays healthy and alive and um
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Getting compost in a year in advance is the best way to do it, to let it sit there and and compost. The other thing that I always worry about with compost, and you you hit on it, but I'm just going to say it for the record for everybody. Um, You need to do essentially a germination test in the compost before you go making 5,000 soil blocks and seeding those soil blocks because compost these days can come with herbicide in it a residual Mm -hmm. herbicide that will just kill everything and so if you got in compost and it's not your own compost now if you made your own compost you probably don't have this worry but if it's something you purchased in you want to you want to just do a seed test on that a germination test of sorts which is basically just take about a cup of it um, and so I use radish seeds because they come up really fast Um, just sow some radish seeds on it just to see just to watch do they look healthy when they germinate, then you're good to go. Thumbs up. If they're like yellowing or they're like, they don't germinate or like if anything looks really out of place, um, then you do not want to use that compost in your seed
1: starting mix. Cause then you'll lose all of your seedlings and that would be horrible. You know, um, I've become good friends with Joe Lample. He's, he has the, a TV show called growing a greener world. He tells the story yeah that he used contaminated manure oh it's the worst he built 16 large raised beds for his TV show oh my gosh I mean it was a beautiful garden and they filled the beds up and all of a sudden everything started distorting I mean <gasps> the story you can go to a grower green com and look search his blogs and just Oh, my gosh. Oh, that would have heart- been heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And then he had to find a way to either get rid of it or to see. I don't remember what his resolve was. Yeah. I mean, I just say to him now, it's like, I don't even use straw anymore. Unless yeah. it's, you can't find organic straw. Yeah. Because we, we have can- friends that strawed their gardens with mulch and then watched their whole garden die. Yep.
0: I've even um, had, and- I, I don't know if it happened for sure. It's my suspicion that I got leaves in. Like I use a lot of leaves. I know you use a lot of leaves too. And one year I got leaves in and used them on a bed and I just, I it was a bed of snapdragons and those snapdragons were just constantly puckered and twisted and, and I could huh. not for the life of me figure out what it was. And then eventually I just had to come to the conclusion, I think there was some sort of herbicide residue on the leaves that were slowly breaking oh. down. I don't, I don't generally know. have that problem, for the record. Right. I still use truckloads, literal truckloads of leaves, right. but it is right. something to, to think about, you know? Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's getting tougher too. Yeah, it is. So, but if you can get a good quality compost, that's great. Or if you don't want to worry about herbicides, the thing that I really rely on in my seed starting mix is worm castings. So, Mm -hmm. um, I have my own worm bin and you all will want to get your own worm bin too. Eventually again, not something you have to start with right now today, but, uh, worm castings, fresh worm castings are the elixir of life, for uh, all plants, like every every stage of growth of plants, there's so much amazing science behind worm castings. Basically, the gut of a worm of an earthworm is this place where like nutrients are extracted to become a plant-soluble form. So it means you get your plants are able to eat the nutrients, a worm poops out. That we all kind of know. But then what's also amazing is there's special, microbiology that lives only in the worm's gut and that microbiology is kind of pooped out (laughs) <laughs> with the worm like when it, everything else comes out and then that's the cool microbiology that really helps enhance plants and their their vigor and their health also worms when they poop out also excrete calcium because they have some sort of special gland in their body that like pushes um, calcium out so that's another thing we talked about how important calcium is to seedlings so the the there's several studies that have also shown that um, worm castings uh, they they help with seed disease suppression. So they suppress Fusarium and Pythium. Yep. Those are two big issues when you're doing seedlings, dampening off, um, and they also enhance germination. There's several studies that show they enhance germination. Again, because seed seeds themselves need those special microbes that will kind of piggyback right. with them and do their thing. The trick here is that you need fresh, unsterilized worm castings. So you can buy worm castings, I think, from Home Depot or someplace. Um, I sometimes get them in from Fertrell, my my fertilizer place. You can get those in big bags, but those have been sterilized. They have to be sterilized to be able to be sold, mass-produced like that. Sterilized, like we've said before, is not good. Sterilized means... All the good stuff is gone. So you don't want to use, you can't, it's not like that. Sterilized bag worm worm castings are bad. They just don't have the good stuff. They are missing.
1: They're missing (laughs) the icing on the cake. Right. Exactly. The cake, but there's no
0: icing. And who wants cake without icing? Let's be honest. For sure. I want the ice cream too, for the record, not just the icing. (laughs) So it's really important to get fresh worm castings. Um, And this is why every I firmly believe every good gardener, every good farmer needs their own worm farm, their own Worm bin. Um, I have one that's just called Can of Worms, is the brand name. From I got it from Uncle Jim's Worm Farm. Super easy to set up um, and get cranking, and they produce tons of castings. It's a really fairly small, like you know, in-home system. Um, Or you can get really big and wild. I had a show with Matt Arthur from BLH Farms. Um, It's the Bokashi podcast show with where he and I talked about larger-scale worm production worm farming (laughs) so listeners can go back and listen to that matt actually sells the fresh worm castings like unsterilized just send you a jar of worm castings if you guys listening need fresh worm castings um that's where you can go until you get your your worm bin set up but i i for the record just started using worm castings um, and what's called vermicast extract so that's a process of of diluting the worm castings into water I just started using that two years ago. The overall health and disease. The health has gone up, the disease pressure has gone down of my entire farm since I started using this. Like it's it's magic, magic fairy dust
1: <laughs> that you can. And so, how do you see. apply it on out in the garden?
0: Yeah. So the easiest way to do it is instead of using the castings, you know, the the sort of like chocolate cake batter looking stuff, you dissolve that in water. So I'll take about a golf ball size of fresh worm castings, put it in like a half gallon jar uh, with water. And I just give it a really good shake, like really, really, really hard shake, 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 shake. shake. Um, And what is on the worm castings is that biology will come off in the water, the nutrients will get dissolved in the water. And there's also something super nerdy, but so worth going down a rabbit hole for anybody who wants to, is something called autoinducers, which go to YouTube, look up the TED Talk on auto-inducers, and y'all, your mind will be blown. Um, too much to go into right now. But it basically, you get those three things in the, the solution. And then I just strain it, and I foliar feed it around the fire. I just spray it on the leaves. I foliar apply it around so the fire. Foliar farm. feed yep. But when it comes to seed sowing in particular, I I do that with that vermicast extract where I just dissolve dissolve it in. There's still a little, like, schmutz left for the record right. afterwards it's not all gone um but i dissolved that and then i just use that as the water to moisten the mix so when you're going to make your blocks or for me and i'm going to fill my cell trays we use that vermicast extract liquid to moisten the the soil and then that's just immediately incorporated as soon as the seed touches it it's it, it's it's uh exposed to all that microbiology it's amazing um and that's probably the easiest thing you guys can do if all of this sounds really daunting and overwhelming but you want to start one place I would say start with using um, fresh worm castings to make a vermicast extract and then use that as your as your liquid for moistening the soil yeah and then you can use it to water thereafter Um, I also spray it on seedlings later on I also mix some of that kelp into that liquid, you know, like when, when I'm making the Vermicast extract in the jar, I add a tablespoon of that powdered kelp product called MaxiCrop. And I just shake that around. Um, And so you've added the kelp is in there now. I put a table or a teaspoon, sorry, not a tablespoon, a teaspoon of that Um, liquid calcium, that WCA, the eggshell extract, I put that in there. Um, And then I also, if I'm going to use the LAB that we talked about, I put that in there. So basically, I just use all these inputs and I put them in the water that moistens the soil. And then that's, so it's actually not a lot of extra steps. It seems like it when
1: you first hear about it. (laughs) Well, until you get all the pieces put together Mm -hmm. and have all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So that's it. Kind of in a nutshell, I realize that's not much of a nutshell. <laughs> it's kind of like a really big, big, a big nut. It's a really big nut. Uh, but I will uh, write all of this down um, for everybody listening who their head's kind of like swimming a little bit at the moment. I'm gonna. There's gonna be a lot of stuff in the show notes, you guys. So check there. But I'm also going to write an article about this that will be up and available to read on the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network um, for those that want to check that out. And I'll include a link in the show notes to that as well. So. All right, Lisa, Uh, there's so many other things I bet I didn't ask you that I should have asked you about seed starting. Any final parting thoughts about seed starting that you wish you had known? You know, obviously, by the way, Lisa's got an amazing podcast link in the show notes. You talk about seed starting in so many ways and so many formats. But is there anything that resonated today
1: here after this conversation Well, I think the thing that people need to remember, and and it wasn't really obvious to me, is that it's science and it's pretty simple. They need moisture, warmth um, and some nutrients and light. And when you give them that those pieces and people struggle and struggle and I mean, I think even in all seed starting, not just soil blocking, people really struggle with the watering. That is the mm-hmm. biggest. I mean, most often we overwater, we rot stuff. We, I mean, plants are drowning, even though they're not sitting in water, you can't see it. They're drowning inside those blocks because they're constantly wet. Yeah. So you just have to work on your technique and you will figure it out and stay simple and learn it and then start ramping up and putting some icing on the cake, you yeah. know, and do a lot of these things. Um, because I think people are just, it's so hard. I mean, it's so hard for me sometimes to look back and think how overwhelming it was. You know, we know so much now, I just forget how hard it was and, um, so we all have to walk that walk, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. I'm so glad you mentioned the like soil moisture cuz that is how so many people kill seedlings early on. The roots roots can't grow without oxygen. So many people exactly. don't understand that air is just as important, if not more important, maybe, to yeah. to roots growing as water is. Instead, we've always been sort of um, indoctrinated with the idea that plants need a lot of water. They need some water, but they also need air, lots and lots of
1: air <laughs> in the soil. Yeah, I mean, I just am a big believer that in a 24-hour period, they need to be watered. They're moist, they're moist, they're getting drier. They're dry overnight and they're ready for another drink the next morning. You know, you want that environment that creates absorption and it's warm enough that it dries out, you know, constant. You can only grow algae and mold on soil with constant moisture. And it's too cool usually too, if that's happening. It's too cool. Yeah. And I tell people it's that, that moisture, that algae and mold doesn't kill your seedling. What created the algae and moisture is what is killing the seedlings. Yeah, So too or much water. <laughs> I mean, a, a very common um, question I get is, my seedlings are just sitting there. It's almost always overwatering, too cool anyway yeah we could talk for days
0: (laughs) we could but everybody should tune into your into your seed talk podcast because that's a great place to get additional information about seed starting but for now lisa thank you for sharing your expertise here and listening to me ramble on about some woo-woo things that maybe seem a little bit less scientific but
1: i promise there's science behind them (laughs) so thank you so much it's my pleasure and honor to be here jenny thank you
0: (laughs) Well, that wraps up another energetic episode of No-Till Flowers. I'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil.